Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, the very cool Idris Elba on his new thriller, Beast. I also talk to the movie's director and producer. Mark Ryle is here with the week's new releases and comedian and actor Will A. White chats about his favourite film. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. Now, it's back. When you look at the dragons, what do you see? What? You haven't spoken a word to me since Mother's funeral. And now you've seen your king's guard down- Answer me. It's important. What do you see? I suppose I see us. Tell me. Everyone says Targaryens are closer to gods than to men, but they say that because of our dragons. Without them, we're just like everyone else. Yes, that is a clip of the much-talked-about House of the Dragon, which is the prequel series finally arrived uh, the spin-off of Game of Thrones, The House of Dragon, which takes place 200 years before the events of the original long and winding Game of Thrones series. Uh, If you're a Game of Thrones fan, you probably don't need me to talk to you about this at all because you're you're all over it. It started on Sky Atlantic this week. And I've seen the first three episodes uh, because I was sent some and it focuses on the Targaryens and they of the people who are the dragon owners. Uh, if, if you don't know what Game of Thrones is about, you, you think this is all nonsense, but the Targaryens were the ones who control the dragons. And this is taking place 200 years, as I say before, the events of Game of Thrones. And so far, so good. Paddy Considine, the Irish actor, plays the king. He's father to a courageous and ambitious daughter, uh, played very well by Millie Alcock, but the fates don't really allow her to be queen because they want a man sitting on the throne, the Iron Throne. This is taking place in Westeros again, King's Landing. The king has a kind of evil brother played very devilishly well by Matt Smith. And there are dragons, there is lots of sex, just the way there was in Game of Thrones. There is political intrigue. I thought this was all very good, very like Game of Thrones in its prime. I think there's maybe a slight, well, there's two problems, I suppose, with this. And they're not problems of the show in and of itself. But they are that for a lot of people, Game of Thrones ended badly. The eighth series, some people felt it just tied things up far too quickly. Some of the story where it ended up didn't make sense to people. I wasn't of that opinion, but it did leave a kind of bitter taste among some fans. So I think maybe with some people and even myself, there's a kind of reluctance 
to get back into Game of Thrones, uh, albeit this prequel, because it was such a event. It went on for years and it, you know, it took over people's lives that, uh, you know, there, there might be Game of Thrones fatigue, even though it's three years since it all ended. That said, I know there's a huge amount of love at the same time for Game of Thrones and people are eating this stuff up as well. If, if you're a fan of Game of Thrones and of course the books. So, you know, on its own terms, this works really well as a prequel to Game of Thrones. But as I said, I think there's a bit of Game of Thrones fatigue still out there, maybe. And also, I've realized chatting to people this week, I was talking to Shane Coleman on Breakfast. I was talking to Mark Ryle. Some people just can't get into Game of Thrones. They've given it a go and they are put off by dragons and the whole fantastical realm. And in a way, I've tried to convince people over the years you know Liam Cunningham who played a pretty important role in Game of Thrones said to me once you know when he first got the script he was put off it was you know dragons and shadow babies and he was like no no I'll stop you there I'm not doing this but then he came to realize that this was a very involved show that you know had Shakespearean dramatic elements to it uh the guys who wrote it were into Beckett this huge political intrigue in it that's all true but some people just aren't convinced by that. Uh, so I, I think Game of Thrones is just a thing. You like it or you don't like it and, and you can't really be persuaded. Dragons, you know, you lost me a dragon. And I get that, but I'm all about dragons. So I've enjoyed the first three episodes of House of the Dragon. Now on Sky Atlantic, do let me know. If you might have been watching it this week, John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. And then just really quickly, because we have a bit on the show this week, Only Murders in the Building finished up this week on Disney Plus, episode 10, the finale by Galley. It was a great finale and it set up season three and there was a brilliant cameo at the end. I won't say any more than that. I'll just remind you, though, if you haven't watched Only Murders in the Building, it's delightful TV. Despite being a show about murder, it's a very kind of comforting watch. It's I've said it before. It's kind of like a movie from the 90s, except it's a TV show, largely because of Martin Short and Steve Martin in it and Selena Gomez. The three of them just work brilliantly and I've really enjoyed Only Murders in the building and it's really gone gangbusters for Disney Plus and I think it's fair to say it's kind of been an unexpected hit I don't think people were expecting it to become the juggernaut that it has but it is great so do check out Only Murders in the building if you haven't watched it now let's get to the beast so listen um, I'm going to try and come to you okay yes, do you understand that Martin I'm going to try and come to you oh uh, yeah. ne negative night. Um, I'm not alone. What? He's staring right at me. The lion is staring right at you? Oh my god. Why would he do that? We have to go get him. The son of a bitch is staring right at me. That we have to go and get him now. That doesn't sound right, man. What's going on? That doesn't sound uh, natural. If I didn't know any better, I'd say I'm the bait. We, we gotta come get you, man. If you stay by there, you're gonna die. Yes, now that is a clip from the new movie Beast starring Idris Elba. It's a pulse-pounding new thriller about a father and his two teenage daughters who find themselves hunted by a massive rogue lion who's intent on proving that the savannah has but one 
apex predator. Idris Elba plays a Dr. Nate, a recently widowed husband who returns to South Africa where he met his wife with his two teenage daughters and they're in a bit of crisis following the death of their mother and he's on the outs in a certain sense with one of his daughters and they visit an old family friend uh, Martin played by Charlotte Copley who you heard there who's a wildlife biologist he's going to take Nate Idris Elba's character out with his two daughters to have a bit of a safari and it's meant to be kind of a healing trip for the whole family but it turns into a fearsome fight for survival when a lion who's a survivor of bloodthirsty poachers He's now out to hunt all humans because he's been so mistreated by these poachers. And he is a lion who's in chaos and he is really hunting people. Now, this is a really good thriller in the vein of kind of Jaws, a a man versus beast kind of vibe. It's very short. It's only 92 minutes. So it's it's a real rip-roaring story. A lot of the reviews describe it as a B-movie, and I don't think that's doing it a disservice. It's just that kind of in the wild thriller of of a beast literally hunting humans it, it, it's really an entertaining movie kind of a perfect thing for the end of summer and worth seeing in the cinema a lot of one shots in it so it's very very suspenseful and the lion the beast in question it's cgi'd but it's it's brilliant it's it, it's a very scary line there's a good few jump scares in this now idris elba probably needs no introduction from you know, everything from The Wire, Luther to The Suicide Squad. He's a musician. He's one of the coolest men on the planet, quite simply. He's also long been rumoured, and he's tired of talking about whether or not he will be the next James Bond. I didn't really get into that with him, or did I? Here is the very cool Idris Elba. Hi, John. How are you? I'm very well. I've been a great admirer of yours for a long time. So it's lovely for me to talk to you. So thanks for talking to me today. Oh, the honour is mine. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. So listen, man fights lion in jungle and goes off to South African savannah for a couple of weeks. Did you get this on your desk and just think, this is what I need to do right now. This is going to be fun. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, uh, I was really sort of excited about bringing a genre movie into uh the cinemas again, we you know, it was at the time when I read the script, I was like, wow, I'd love to see this film in the movies. And we weren't sure that we were going to have that experience again because of mm. the pandemic. So I was really sort of like, well, if, it, if there's a one film that we could sort of put on the map, it would be something like this, which is okay. escapism. Yeah. A reason to go to the cinema and watch it so people can enjoy it. Yeah. You know, it takes all joking aside, a lot of presence to be able to fight a lion, you know, metaphorically and literally. And one of the things I've always liked you about an actor is you do have huge presence. Is now maybe it's a strange question for someone to ask you about yourself, but like, have you been aware of that in your acting career that you you're one of those people it comes off the screen like Liam Neeson has, not to Irish it up. Oh yeah, <laughs> Liam's a dope actor. No, I mean, I feel it's definitely something that when I was a young kid wanted to get into acting it was a mm. word that was always mentioned presence presence yes I understand what it meant until much much later in my life and now I, I i understand it i think it's good to just really state though this isn't a man fighting a lion this is a man <laughs> running for his life you know 
yes. I'm no hero in this. And, and the lion has all the presents. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's that's a good point. I'm very modest of you to point that out. And is it true that your daughters, as we say in this part of the world, or one of them was on the outs with you because she wanted the role of your daughter? No, she, no, 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 it's no, not no. true. No, she auditioned for the role and, and didn't get the part. And that's that's the um, that truth. And um you know it's just a life thing she, she it just it didn't didn't happen you know the okay. uh, other actor got the role okay i'm sure some press person made that up it's so strange that that would happen uh, <laughs> t- tell me this you I, I i mentioned liam neeson but you've mentioned your fondness for ireland once or twice in other interviews have you plans to get back here for any projects or Dude, i can't wait to come back i really really love ireland it's like a very nice place in the world i, I remember i did a tv show there called the governor a long yeah. time i was in dublin for a long time and i just fell in love Irish people are lovely, warm and open. It's a beautiful part of the, the world. It's like beautiful sun, sunlight. I love it. Correct answer. <laughs> and then finally, on behalf of Ireland, huge speculation for a long time. Now, bear with me about a certain role that you may inhabit in the future. Can you tell Irish audiences definitively, yes or no, if you will be the Grand Marshal in next year's St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin? Uh, I, you know, I'm still waiting for the actual invitation for that. And once I get it, then I'll, I'll be able to, uh, well, it's going to be right at the top of my decisions. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Brought that up. Wonderful. The first thing I ever saw you in was obviously The Wire. And I remember at the time, all my pals saying, you know, he's English. And I kept going, no, he's not. No, he's not. Has that followed you around as well? People going, I can't believe you're not American. I know not anymore. But were you shocked by how convincing people found you as an American? No. Do you know, do you know what? Like when I got the wire, I had lived in America for about four to five years at that junction. So I thought I was American (laughs) (laughs) at that point. And and, um, for me, you know, doing an accent is more about understanding the culture than it is Mm. the accent. And at that time I was very much a part of the culture. Right. Lovely. You are as cool on a Zoom call as you appear to be in person. It's the highlight of my week to talk to you, Idris. Thank you very oh, much. Man, that's lovely. Thank you, man. Good to speak. Cheers. To Take care. Bye bye. Bye, man. Yes, Idris Elba there talking to me about The Wire, his fondness for Ireland and possibly being the next Grand Marshal of the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And of course, his new movie, Beast, which is in cinemas, I should point out, from this Friday. It opens this Friday and it is on general release. I realized I was a bit of a fanboy there. It's Idris Elba, you know, and, you know, I'm a movie fan. I'm I'm a film and TV fan and... You know, I'm not Pat Kenny. I can't be calm. I was delighted to talk to him. Now, Beast, which we're talking about, is directed by the experimental, very visceral filmmaker, Icelandic filmmaker, Baltazar Kormaker. Uh, he, he gave us movies like Everest, uh, Two Guns, Contraband. So he had a very personal interest in this movie, and I had a quick chat with him. Is it true that you were kind of obsessed with lions as a young boy, <laughs> and your yeah. mother showed you a photo years later going, this is why you made this movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, before I made it, and I was telling her about it, as he brought this clipping from a dusty, ba- you know, from, from from the basement, and said, you know, here's a, here's your research since you were a kid. <laughs> and I was like, all these uh, wonderful photos of you know, that's when we didn't have the internet, obviously. Yeah. And, and we had to, you know, if you wanted to remember something, you had to cut it out and put it in a plastic folder. So there was a lot of pictures of lions. And um, yes, I was. Uh, my plan was to go to Africa and become like some 
animal protector or something like that, or, or scientists study the behavior. Yeah. So that didn't obviously happen. And then I was going to be a veterinarian and that didn't happen. And then I became an actor and then I became a director. And then I got to study lions. So yeah. in, in circles, circle. in circles, yes. we move, as they say. Yes. And given your interest in lions as a small child and the stuff that happens to us as a kid stays with us, is that why you were keen that although this line is horrible to the humans, you're keen to show that there's reasons why he's like that, that you're not making him an utter villain, I thought was very interesting. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's something that also for me is like, you remember when we had the times of uh, Native Americans only being good, not sure. that, that compared, and then uh, before that, there were only savages, right? Yeah. Now we can maybe show both, you know, that there there is two sides to things. And, 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 and my lions are as grim as any animal can get. Eat to themselves, they eat each other cups, and they take over prides. And the, you know, there's incredible documentaries we went through and studied the behavior. You know, but that's their that's their nature. You know, but at the same time, you know, human beings are 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 and have uh, also you know behaved the way they have, and and we know. And but I'm I, for me, it's like he's 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 both. You know, he's dangerous, and yes, you probably have to put him out because you're protecting your 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 uh, uh, children or. or but at the same time, there's there's a reason behind it, and 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 of course it's a it's a movie, it's an adventure. So whether a lion would stalk that much, and, and focus, but then again, Jaws wouldn't have done that either. No, I mean, no, you know, sharks don't eat boats. So that's the first thing <laughs> they don't eat anything that's hard, you know, because yeah. that's the in the teeth. I swam <laughs> with sixty sharks, and I know exactly how they behave. It doesn't mean okay. that. So so yeah, I went to sixty bull sharks in Fiji, and and you just poke them in the nose. And with something hard, and they know they go go somewhere else because they they can hardly see, and they they don't want to bite anything because they'll be biting rocks all day long if if they would. So they poke the nose into it, doing, and then they know it's hard or not. If you're soft, then they will bite and check if you're sealed. And you know, lions, you know, the, but there are. I studied quite a lot the 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 lion attacks, and and they are mostly towards indigenous people because they are more uh, exposed to them. And that's why they're not written up. They're not written in, in the media the same way, like a shark attack, you know. But yes, it was it was it was important to me to find, you know. It's like we are in the also in the times in in, in where we are nature is striking back at us. For me, it's like the tsunami. You know, when it hits, it doesn't choose people. It just takes everyone out. You know, it doesn't choose the ones who, who are more environmental and leaves them out and takes the other ones. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me this. I noticed a lot of one shots in it, uh, and, and and people comment on that, and and they're brilliantly done. But but why do that? Because it's a it's a pain in the ass, I'm sure, as a filmmaker to do these one shots. But why were you so keen to have them in the movie? Well, first of all, it's a pain in the ass to be a filmmaker. You know, <laughs> so, so that I mean that comes with the job. No, but it's like it's like everything is complicated, and and that's why you do it, I guess, you know, and 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 uh, that because it's a challenge, you know, and and in my case at least, well, the reason really is because I wanted to create a claustrophobic feeling and 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 sense of p p point of view that you're always stuck with them. You you start experiencing that you are in that truck with them, and you can't get out. And there's another, which not many people notice that. Most of the time when people shoot scenes inside a car, they shoot often outside in through the window because there's a nice layer and makes the shot look. I never did that. I always shot inside out. So you feel 
and it's very tempting because, of course, there's a lot little, very little space inside of a car, and you are in, in a situation where people get too close and stuff like that. But I was trying to create this feeling that you're in the car with them, and everything that's coming at you is coming at you. You don't cut to a lion's eye like in Jurassic Park or something. Arr, the teeth. So you feel the pressure of 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 that you don't know where it's out there. That was really the idea, and create a different atmosphere that these movies have been doing. You know, well, you created a great atmosphere. It, it's a terrific ride of a movie, and I really enjoyed it. And it was lovely to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Baltazar Cormacher there talking to me about his new movie Beast. Now, Beast was produced by Will Packer. Now, we don't often talk to producers. Producers can be hugely important in movies. Or they can be just someone who's given a role of as executive producer because they paid a load of money or something like that. Will Packer is the former. He is one of the most successful movie producers in the world. Uh, he's the blockbuster producer of things like Girls Trip, the Ride Along franchise. He's had 10 movies that opened at number one in the box office. He also recently produced the Oscars this year, as in the one where Will Smith did his bad thing. This is a serious film and TV producer who produced Beast, and I got to talk to Will Packer also. How you doing, my friend? I'm very well. My eldest son is called Will as well, so I like you already, you know? All right, there you go. Say what's up to my namesake for me. I will indeed. Listen, was it very, the movie's fantastic and a real thrill ride. And I saw it on a dark Monday morning in Dublin and it really cheered me up. Was it really important for you guys to go to South Africa and have it there and that there not be green screen and stuff? Yeah, I mean, look, we knew from the beginning that the lion was going to be CGI computer yeah. generated. He's such an important character in the movie, obviously, as our antagonist. Yeah. And what we talked about was, well, we're going to have the CGI lion. Let's make that the only computer generated image in the film. Mm. Let's make everything else, the backdrops, the vistas, the wide sweeping shots of the savannah. Let's make all that real and authentic. And in order to do that, we had to go, you know, a long way to make yeah. it happen. We were deep in the bush in South Africa, five miles away from the, the nearest major city. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful backdrop. But it was important for us to give the film this kind of authentic um, mm. experiential feel. That plus the cinematography, to me, are really what makes the film feel authentic yeah and uh, I, I, I was talking to Baltazar earlier the one the, lots of one shots are brilliant in it and it's really suspenseful because of that. as you mentioned cinematography I go to a lot of movies uh, for this gig and I take this as a compliment but the length of it is great because yeah. I'm of the opinion that so many movies are just too long no matter how good they are but 92 minutes of a running order you know in our busy lives is, is a great amount of time you can still pick up your kids from school did you always have it in your mind that we want this to be short and snappy. I was hoping that, you know, the, the script was written that way. It was very um, economical. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you, Baltazar brought that home because you never okay. know. You know, you shoot a lot and you never know yeah, what a director is going to put into a take. But he also had in his mind that there's no need for it to be much longer. His take was always really tight. It was always very well done, very economical. And I agree. I don't besmirch films that feel like they need to be, you know, two and a half, three hours. But that's not this movie. That no, was no. never the intent. That's not I, I like the movie that you can get in and get out and go about your day. <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, this is never going to be Dune and Dune's a great movie. But that's, <laughs> there's no need to do that with this. They one. should put that on the posters. This 
this is not Dune. Uh, you know, I was reading about you this morning and you've had incredible success. And I was thinking, you know, I haven't heard that much about you. And I wonder, do you ever feel that like producers don't get the recognition they deserve? Because your CV alone and you look about 12, I don't know how you've been doing it so long. But <laughs> do, do you think people underestimate how important a producer is? Because you have had some serious hits in your time, hits that never would have happened were it not for you. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I think this is all part of letting people know, you know, who I am, what I do and what the producerial, you know, job and skill set is. So you're helping to spread the word right now. I don't, you know, producers get a lot of credit, so it's OK. I think this is a director's <laughs> medium, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that doesn't bother me at all. But at the end of the day, it is a producer's job to put together all the elements. And, you know, that's why we get the best picture trophy at the Oscars at the end of the day, you know, after all the other awards are given out because it's us that puts together the project. So I just um, I'm very proud of my um, of my resume and proud of the movies that I've gotten to make. And, and it doesn't bother me at all. You know, those that 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 know. And I got a lot of people that support and go see my films. But I certainly want to let other audiences know that, you know, this is a Will Packer production. And so you get a sense for what that means. Yes. Well, this is not Dune and this is a Will Packer production. They're the two takeaways. Those it's are lovely... your sound bites. <laughs> <laughs> lovely to talk to you, Will. Thanks a lot. All right. It's a pleasure, brother. Take care. Cheers. Bye bye. Will Packer there, the producer of Beast and a lot of other things, including Girls Trip and the Ride Along franchise of movies, uh, a very, very successful film and TV producer. So that was my chat with uh, all the main people involved in the movie Beast, which is in cinemas this Friday. Up next, Mark Ryle on the other new releases. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. We turn now to the week's new releases uh, outside of Beast, which we were talking about before the break. And I'm joined by our resident critic, Mark Ryle. And we're only reviewing one new release for reasons which will become apparent mm. after I introduce the aforementioned Mark Ryle. So without further ado, please welcome to the Screen Time studio, Mark Ryle. Hello, Mark. All right, Chief, how are you? Good. Was that the build-up you wanted? You told me you wanted 30 seconds before you were introduced, right? Was that okay? <laughs> With no eye contact. Yeah. Um, yeah, my basket is a bit empty this week, I'm afraid. We do have a movie that we've both seen called Official Competition, which yeah. we're going to talk about now, which I actually thought was great. But there is a new movie out, a mm. horror movie called... The Invitation. It's out today, and it's it, what's happened is that it's obviously so amazing that the distributors are so confident in it that there was no press show and there was no previous screener um, made available. Um, yeah. At least there wasn't, it wasn't available, available to me. Um, I, you know, I can only assume that it's, it's a masterpiece and they're, they're thrilled with it. Um, <laughs> but we also, we did also try and fail to get a preview of the, the new Netflix comedy with uh, Marky Mark Wahlberg and Kevin Hart at me time. So yes. we didn't get that either. So we no, did try. <laughs> we did try. But listen, let's not talk of strangers now. Official competition, Penelope yeah. Cruz, uh, what's his name again? Antonio Banderas, who I hadn't seen in a while. And another Spanish actor whose name Ol I can't remember. Olivia Martinez. Yeah. Uh, in a great movie. Tell our listeners what official is. competition is. Yeah, It's uh, written and directed by the uh, Argentinians Gaston Duprat and Mariano Cohen. And I'm not familiar with their other work, but I was very, 
very pleasantly surprised with this. So um, the story here is that a, a big pharma billionaire has just turned 80 and he's having an end of life crisis. He wants to leave a legacy that goes beyond the pharmaceutical industry. So he decides to finance and produce a prestige movie with the best actors and the best director that money can buy. Um, he buys up the rights to an award-winning novel, and he employs Penelope Cruz's eccentric filmmaker Lola Cuevas to uh, direct the adaptation. And the two main parts of the movie are played by Antonio Banderas's Felix Rivero, who's a Brad Pitt-type, hugely successful, very high-maintenance movie star. And then Olivier Martinez uh, plays Ivan Torres, and he's a serious thespian, very snooty and precious about the quote unquote the, the process. Um, yeah, very two two very different actors and a, a crazy director. Yes, exactly. And Banderas is, you know, the other actor thinks he sold out basically because he's been highly successful and has all sorts of awards and five children from four different women and has lived a, a movie star lifestyle. Yeah, and everything that he that he despises, but like, yeah, it's it's a so it's it's it'd be easy to say that this is a very it's an in joke uh, to a very specific type of movie, but I do think that it's got it's got broad appeal. I think like I don't think you have to uh, be you know an insider in 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 the industry to to get this. I think everyone is going to find this funny. It is it's a satire, and it does take aim at the at the pretentiousness of art cinema. Mm. Um, at this idea that the, the director is this unique visionary and also the ego of acting and, mm. you know, the, the ridiculousness of method acting. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I guess, you know, they take swipes at the Hollywood machine as well, although, but, but everything gets based. And we should mention that a large part of the movie though, is Penelope Cruz bringing the two actors together, getting them to rehearse and explore the, their own kind of legacies as actors and, and, and the parts that they're going to play in very funny ways. It is. Yeah. No, it's the, well, the entire movie is the rehearsal because it's not really, uh, well, I suppose it gets to there in the, in, in, in the end, but like most of it is just the rehearsal it's 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 uh, it's more or less a series of little plays with penelope cruz introducing a series of of very threatening borderline dangerous rehearsal exercises that as you say are designed to break down the characters and bring out their character you know bring the, the characters out of the actors but they end up really as a series of these mind games between banderas and martinez and each one is trying to i suppose out thespian the other hmm. um but i think you know cruz is the <laughs> cruz is the winner yeah, uh, but in some of those almost practical jokes that are in it, where they're trying to outdo each other, and and Penelope Cruz does some very stuff. They're very inventive. Uh, not to give a spoiler, but in one scene, she's trying to get them to be all method, and she hangs a rock, a massive boulder above their heads. It's like, more it's than a rock. Clever. Yeah, it's massive. It's half a mountain. It could, it could kill them. It could. Yeah, feel the weight of the performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, they're they're like yeah, I suppose each, each all three of them are are, are mad and very very. Different different ways um at the first the, this pre-rehearsal meeting the first time they meet each other she kind of asked them how they see the character that they're going to be playing and you know Mar martinez gives this long rambling answer that digs deep into this this macho interest in football and what time his character gets up at and then you know banderas says his character doesn't exist because it's just ink on paper and mm -hmm. he'll he'll learn the lines and he'll deliver them with authority and then people will believe it because he's acting. It's really, it's, it's, it's this is Dustin Hoffman in Marathon Man and 
staying up for three days straight and then Laurence Olivier <laughs> saying, my dear boy, why don't you just try acting? Yeah. But the thing is, I'm not sure who's Dustin Hoffman <laughs> between, yeah. between the two of them, you know? Yeah, and they're both kind of equally pretentious. And Penelope Cruz is occasionally quite pretentious oh, as God, well. Yeah. But, but but maybe she's maybe she's the smartest thing in the room, certainly at times. But also what's very clever about it is Banderas' character, you know, he, he comes across as, you know, the showboater and the guy yeah. who's just about the money, really, and the fame. But yeah. yet he goes places that shows his character and Anthony Banderas are is a brilliant actor. Yeah, 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 and he's he's like but, uh, uh, Olivia Martinez is is you know is the one of the principals, but he's he's just as um, fake. Yes, and there's <laughs> a there's a brilliant scene where he's listening to some kind of industrial classical music. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's listening to this this avant garde sonic artist and with his wife, and they're they're saying, you know, you can hear the dirt and listen to that timeless tribal banging, but like it's just the neighbor hammering up a painting next door yeah um there's a it's it's it, this is it's one of those great movies about a movie you know yeah um if anyone has seen tom de Silla's Live, living in oblivion and if you haven't and if you can find it please do because it's brilliant but it is it's one of and between i think between this and um was it the good boss that we talked about a couple of weeks back yeah. um i, I hadn't think, seen that but okay yeah but between this and the good boss i think uh uh black Spanish comedy is is my new favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I say this sometimes and maybe it's it's a very insular thing because I watch a lot of movies, but it's it's so refreshing to watch a movie that's in a foreign language and just get it all and nearly feel like you could turn the subtitles off at a certain stage. And there's a there's a, a different pace to the way yeah. they make movies and it was just really pleasing. And you know, the way we're describing it, I hope it's coming across that it's very funny. This is, it is. like it's sending up an art house cinema, but it there's belly laughs in this. There really it is, is, it is. It's it is really, really funny. Um uh it, and like it made me laugh a lot. And yeah. I think it's it's very, very witty and it's very smart as well. Okay. Um, but you can you can tell that the the two directors do Pratt and Cohen. They've obviously I don't know who they've worked with in the past, but they are obviously drawing from personal experience. Yeah, 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 absolutely, uh, and brilliantly so. And uh, Penelope Cruz is is tremendous in it. I she thought. is. Uh, yeah, she brilliant. is. Uh, okay, so what are you going to say stars wise for official competition? I'm homing and home between a three and a half and a four. I think I'm going to go with a four. Good man. I'm going to yeah. give it a four as well because it's thoroughly entertaining. You did say to me earlier in the week when we were doing our Eamon Dunphy, John Giles call ahead that uh, you thought it was too long. And and so you watched I it did. before I did. When I was gearing up for it, I, I God, I, I, I really didn't find it too long at all. I, I think 20 minutes could easily have been chopped out and this, it would okay. have been a lot tighter and more focused. And I, th I do think that it does get a bit oh, uh, over the top and melodramatic towards the, the, the resolution. But, I mean, most of it is fantastic. Okay, okay. I mean, you're wrong, but you're welcome to your opinion. You should <laughs> have you, you should have watched Beast. That's 92 minutes. You want nice, short, yeah. I'll give you a short movie. Yeah, but anyway. If you're doing a movie that's longer than 90 minutes, you really have, a, have to have a good reason. Yeah. Well, look, that's four stars for Mark and four stars for me for official competition, which is in cinemas this very weekend. Mark, thanks a lot. Thanks, John. And I should mention, sorry, Mark, before I let you go, next week we are going oh, to be talking oh, about how, how the long one is, and only. How long is Blackbird? <laughs> Michael Flatley starring yeah. in, in the much-talked-about Blackbird. So yeah. uh, more of that and on. I look forward to discussing that with you and more next week.
What a time to be alive, huh? <laughs> Mark Royal there discussing official competition, which is in select cinemas this weekend and well worth a watch. Up next, comedian and actor Willa White on his favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. I'm delighted to be joined now by comedian Willa White and lately award-winning actor. More of that and on. Willa joins me in studio. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm great. Now we have a first in the favourite movie slot in that your favourite movie also involves body art, right? We'll get to that in a minute. But first of all, tell our listeners what your favourite film is. My favourite film is The Wizard of Oz, the old version, yes. an original, I should say. Yes. Why? Um, it's one of them real feel-good kind of movies and it it, it reminds me of, of being a kid, um, very, very young in life and when we had made the transition from, believe it or not, black and white television to colour television. But when I seen The Wizard of Oz for the first time, I think the one thing that really held me was that when it made that transition from black and white into colour when the witch was underneath the house, you know, and it's 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 just one of them real kind of feel-good films and it's something that I've always kind of carried through life and it's had different meanings and different things that it's meant to me over the years. But I think the one thing that I... Not that I think, I know the one thing that it's always meant was that there really is, is what, there's no place like home, like, mm. you know, and, I, and I've been away um, a lot of me times in life, uh, sometimes at my own will, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes at the state's will, and, and and I always just wanted to go home. It's, it's always been that, that, that kind of thing, been a, been a dreamer for a, lot of, for a lot of the time as well, and that's kind of what Dorothy does in the beginning is that she drifts off mm-hmm. into this dream, into this kind of superficial imaginary land where she meets these characters who are all looking for something different as well. Like, you know, obviously the Tin Man is looking for a heart. The Lion, who's meant to be this big, ferocious uh, creature, is looking for courage. The Scarecrow, he's looking for a brain, you know, and it's... I find that when I look at it and, and how old the film is and how far ahead they actually were with technology and with special effects and just the whole roller coaster of Royd of, of, of is she going to get to Emerald City yeah. and is she eventually going to get to see the wizard and you know it, it, the song obviously all, all the way through is we're off to see the wizard the wonderful yeah. wizard of Oz and, and when they get there it's not what it's all made out to be and I think in life a lot of the times that is the way that things pan out that when yeah, you know, like even to go to destinations where you've never been before, you kind of draw this, visualise and draw this picture in your head that it's going to be this. And when you get there, a lot of the times, it's not exactly what it is. And I think that's what I kind of got out of that bit, that when they got there, they were expecting to see this, you know, amazing wizard when in reality when Toto went in behind the court and it was just a guy that was pulling a few levers with a voice distortion microphone and you're kind of going oh my god and then he's kind of going into this (laughs) this sack of tricks and giving the guy a heart and giving the fella you know you're making up something for the lion to say well here's a piece of paper to say that you've got courage and that so it's yeah it's, it's a brilliant movie and it's one of them movies that will always, you know, stick with me till definitely I draw me last breath. Like. 
Do me a favour. Will you hold up your, is it your left arm? Yeah, it's my left arm, yeah. So I'm just going to tell listeners, on Willa's left arm is a tattoo of the Iron Man, the Tin Man and the Scarecrow. How long have you had that tattoo? I have had that tattoo probably about 10 years. Wow, okay. Yeah. And, like, why? Because, 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 because. <laughs> I mean, it's probably obvious why, but... Uh... Yeah, come here, it's it's just... Well, you know, and I don't mind saying, I don't mind kind of blowing me anonymity. I've been in recovery for the last 21 years, um, uh, alcohol-free free and drug-free, uh, just a day at a time. But it kind of means, like, the Tin Man is... is uh, serenity the lion is courage the scarecrow is wisdom because he was yeah. looking for a brain like so it's kind of comes in the serenity prayer i suppose a bit as well but more so that yes it's it's definitely my favorite film you know yeah well that's the first time in this slot where someone has had a tattoo of the film and i've been doing this for nearly four years now so for that alone i thank you Listen, you've made reference to it there, but I, I, I very quickly tell people and remind people, I suppose, who you are. You, as you mentioned, as they say in The Sopranos, were a guest of the government. You were in prison. Yes. You had a pretty rough time as a child. You've had, you've been in recovery for a long time, but you were a heroin addict for a while yeah. in your life. And then, and this is me telling you your life back to, so I want you to tell me otherwise, but then you are seen or you're part of Des Bishop's Joy in the Hood and you become a comedian. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's. I know for, that's a, a, a no, you that's, know, a that's no, that's stamp that's, of your life. But. That's basically yeah. What me me and Des, um, you know, have have been friends for a good while. Um, I only seen him a couple of weeks ago, and and we spoke, and we have always remained friends. But I was a friend with Des before the program took off. Okay, and what happened was the program originally was meant to be about me. Um, getting out of prison and embarking on the world of stand-up comedy. Okay. That was the original format of it before it took the transition to Joy in the Hood. And I had to think about the programme and I had to think about the people who would have got affected by me, you know, blowing my anonymity, so to speak. I was in early recovery. I had a job. I, you know, I had a young family and I didn't really want to do that. And I opted not to do it because I knew what would have involved going on radio stations like this. It would have involved a late, late show. Uh, it would have invo involved a lot of media attention. Mm. And I then would have been branded the, you know, the ex-drug addict, ex-prisoner comedian. Yeah. And I did not want to sure. fall into that bracket because I knew it would fizzle out fairly soon. And oh, I didn't yeah. want that brand on my head and to be asked all the time, you know, why were you in prison? What did you do, you know, to, to deserve to go to prison? Basically, why I ended up in prison is because I'd done something wrong and... um. I, I didn't, you know, personally, like, harm anybody or I didn't, you know, hurt anybody with, with assault or anything like that. And it was nothing sexual. It was just a, a silly mistake that I made in my life, which I'd made a lot of times before. And that's why I ended up there. I went there and I ended up paying the price for, for my actions. So I, I, I said to Des, look, I'm not, I'm not interested in doing it. But if anything comes about again that you think maybe I could get involved yeah. with, I said I'd love to. So uh, if, if a few months later he he come out come back with this amazing idea of a program called Join the Hood, where he went into disadvantaged areas, he interviewed lads, he picked them, and he got them to do a bit of material. Mm. 
you know, around a life or whatever it was yeah. and get on stage in front of an audience, be it in a small theatre or a community centre and perform it in front of their family yeah. and their friends. And that's basically how it started, uh, my, my comedy career started, you know. Um, but, you know, and you, you shared why you'd gone to prison and I didn't even ask you, so I appreciate that. But, like, through all the rough stuff that happened to you, were people saying to you, you're quite funny, you should give this stand-up thing a go? Yeah, you know, I, I, it was never like, you know, give stand-up a go. I was always, from a very young age, I was a very funny, kind of very witty guy, you know. Um, but never kind of, you know, harboured it in any other direction, you know, of thinking of being a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, I got into drugs at a very young age and that um, blinded me and my direction with where I wanted to go in life. Um, and so everything else kind of got put on the back burner, so to speak, and the drugs and my addiction became mm. my priority. And it was only when I got out of prison and got clean in prison, um, and I'd been in prison a few times, and I'd been in psychiatric hospitals, and I'd been in a lot, a lot of, you know, really dark places in my life, homeless on the streets, and all that stuff that comes that comes with addiction. It was only when I got out of prison and got myself clean and kind of met Des and, and it was kind of put to me that I was a funny guy and maybe I could do something about it. It was then I kind of done it. And I was kind of at that thinking thing, kind of going, Jesus, maybe I'm too old for this or maybe, you know, whatever. And, and, and what if I'm now good at it? And, you know, someone says to me, what if you're good at it? Like, you know, so... <laughs> And here, it turns out you were. Yeah, well, and are good. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, with the stand up came came a lot of other stuff. So I got I befriended Dave McSavage from the from the comedy circuit, who done an amazing program for RTE, which I really think, you know, they should have ran on for an awful the long Savage time. Savage, you're referring to one of the greatest pieces of satire. Ama- it's fantastic, Ama- amazing. Yeah. I got a part of in the Irish pictorial as well, which yeah. was uh, comedy satire at its best. It was in Love Hate. I got a very small part yeah. in Love Hate. That journey isn't quite over because I want to mention one thing quickly and we are running out of time but you were also, as I mentioned, start an award-winning actor, Irish Times Theatre Award for, which was in essence last or a couple of years ago, your one-man show. Well, it it, it wasn't actually a one-man show. It was meant to be a one-man show. And one of the other guys from Broken Talkers, uh, a very talented writer and performer called Gary Keegan, got involved in this piece by fluke. So it was meant to be a one-man show. Gary read in for where I was meant to be doing a voice distortion piece, talking back to myself. And as it turned out, is that Gary happened to be an ex-victim of crime in London a good few years ago. And the play took a completely different tone okay. with Gary getting involved and kind of getting written around him and myself, you okay. know. Okay, but it was called Examination and a lot of it was a, a kind of fictionalised version of your story. Is that right? I I would more so say, John, um, factual than fiction. Okay. Everything that was in the play, in the examination, is all true. So so basically it's about Gary being an, ex, an ex-victim of crime. I'm an ex-criminal Gary tells his story, I tell my story, then there's ex- extracts from prisoners in Mountjoy Jail that are doing life sentences okay. at the moment. And you won an Irish Times Theatre Award. We won the Irish Times Theatre Award, we won the Irish Times uh, Soundscape Award, uh, we won 
and, and, and we, 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 we took it to Edinburgh for a couple of weeks in 2019. And we also uh, went to the Dublin Fringe Awards where we won Best Production again in 2019. And I won Best Performer at the Dublin Fringe Festival out of 700 people, which was which was a, an amazing achievement. You are first and foremost a stand-up comedian. So oh, where can people see you? You can see me uh, Friday and Saturday in the Laughter Lounge on Eden Quay, which is the best comedy venue in the sea. So... He is Willow White. His favourite movie is The Wizard of Oz. And in case you doubt that, he literally has a tattooed to his arm. Willa, thank you very much. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. What was that? The munchkins. They're laughing because I am a witch. I'm Glinda, the witch of the north. You are? Oh, I beg your pardon, but I've never heard of a beautiful witch before. The munchkins are happy because you have freed them from the wicked witch of the east. Oh, but if you please, what are munchkins? The little people who live in this land, it's munchkin land, and you are their national heroine, my dear. It's all right, you may all come out and thank her. And all the munchkins came out. That was a clip, of course, from The Wizard of Oz, the favourite movie of Willa White, comedian and, as you heard there, actor. And my sincere thanks to Willa for sharing his time and, indeed, his story. He is a lovely man. He really is. That's it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. You can get in touch with me at any stage during the week. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle. Or you can email me, screentime at Newstalk.com. Next week, I'll be talking to Hugh Bonneville about his new Netflix movie, I Came By. And of course, as you heard earlier, me and Mark Royal will be getting stuck into Blackbird, starring Michael Flatley. All of that next week. Enjoy the remainder of your weekend and have a safe week ahead. Take care.